we've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You've got to have a like the why, and we know our why. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help. You can get a roadmap. You can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. <laughs> Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for coming to our webinar today. Um, we have Tim Looney with Cost Segregation Services here to talk to us about a really exciting topic. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to let everyone know that um, as we've done in previous webinars, uh, we'll go ahead and open it up for questions toward the end. So um, if you have questions, you can always put them down uh, below. You should have a box uh, for Q&A. You can go ahead and type your question in there. We'll go ahead and have uh, Tim answer them at the end uh, in the order that they were received. Um, you can always use the chat box too for any comments as we're going through uh, the information as well. Um, so that's kind of the way that we're going to do this, uh, today and, uh, we'll get right into it. So, so guys, we really want to have Tim on today. Um, obviously because whether you own real estate, don't own real estate, a lot of the reasons why we own real estate is, you know, for generational wealth or equity or cash flow. But the other big thing is obviously taxes. And a lot of people don't even realize what cost segregation is. They don't even realize how this has even been. Um, affected in the positive way because of the new laws. And so, you know, Tim can go over, even we'll probably go over our situation with him, kind of the savings. But if you guys have never heard about it, never listened to anything, um, take notes. This is a game changer. And I think this will be very helpful for anybody that's looking to save on taxes, um, especially whoever gets elected in the coming uh you know, future here in the next. Well, one week. of the funny things is, is that I think the big topic of conversation has been about Trump not paying taxes. It's been a huge thing that people talk about. It's like a big media thing to get people riled up. But um, people like Donald Trump use this as one of the strategies to reduce their tax or, or even eliminate their taxes uh, that they pay uh, to the government every year. So um, without further ado, we'll let Tim get started. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for coming on today. We really appreciate you coming here to explain this very confusing topic that people may or may not have heard of. <laughs> Thanks, Crystal and uh, Kenny both. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, hopefully uh, we can keep this uh, kind of high level. I know, uh, as we discussed, it's kind of a dry topic. So we'll try to make it uh, at least, if not interesting, at least uh, bring out some uh, awareness to what it is and how it can benefit uh, property owners. So um, let me go ahead and see if I can uh, share my screen here and pull up my... Uh, PowerPoint presentation. All right. So um, using cost segregation will increase your cash flow by producing tax saving. Okay, so what we want to do today, what I'm going to do today is really break it into three different uh, areas. One is cost segregation, which is really the basis, uh, the foundation of all three of them. Um, Cost segregation, which includes the uh, 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which uh, really did uh, make a big uh, impact on the cost segregation tax savings. Also, we'll talk a little bit about um, the tangible property regulations, sometimes referred to as the uh, 
uh, repair regs, okay? And then finally, uh, a little bit about the, um, the CARES Act, which was passed, you know, back in, uh, whether it was March or April or whatever. Uh, most people are familiar with it, you know, from, uh, you know, the, uh, the PPP and other things to help businesses stay uh, in business, but there are also some very good uh, taxpayer-friendly uh, advantages for um, property owners. So, um, again, I'm with uh, CSSI, which stands for Cost Segregation Services, Inc. My, my contact information is up there. It's also going to be at the end, but we want to try to keep this mainly um, educational and not so much uh, salesy, so I will try not to, to do that. But first, what is cost segregation? I know a lot of you are familiar with it. Maybe not a lot of you, but some are familiar with it, some are not. Maybe even some of those who are familiar with it uh, are not familiar with the changes that have come about since, uh, really since about 2016, 2014, 15, 16, and then after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017. But basically, uh, if you're an owner now, you probably know that the government, the IRS, allows you to depreciate a building that you own, whether it's commercial or uh, multifamily. You can depreciate it uh, over a certain number of years. Most people kind of automatically do it uh, as, you know, with what they uh, call straight line depreciation. So if it's a commercial building, you, do, you get 139th of it because it's a 39-year tax life. You get 139th of the depreciation cost uh, of it every year. If it's a multifamily, then the, the, the tax, um, the uh, depreciable life is 27 and a half years, so you get 127 uh, every year. But that's what's called straight line depreciation, which some, some CPAs just kind of automatically do that. Um, but the government also allows you to do it a different way, which is what cost segregation is. They allow you to accelerate certain components of the building. So in other words, instead of everything, the building structure and all the interior uh, build-outs and things, instead of them all being depreciated over 39 years, the building structure itself will still be depreciated over 39 years, but the interior, a lot of the interior things uh, will be able to be, be depreciated over five years, seven, or 15 years, uh, which will allow you to write off more in the early years, and therefore use that to offset your income and lower your taxes. Um, they say- Tim, you know, I just wanted to uh, interject for a moment just to let you know, I don't know if you checked the poll, but just interesting information, 41% of the guests today have never even heard of cost segregation and 65% of them have never done a cost segregation study. So that just goes to show you um, yeah. how unknown this really, this really is. And it's a huge, huge benefit um, that we were able to take advantage of this year as well. So. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's a big percentage has never heard yeah. of it and the rest that have never used it, but um, it is a very big uh, benefit. Um, what they, 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 they call personal property, you know, we normally think of personal property as our personal belongings, but for these purposes, personal property is basically everything inside a building, whatever that can be moved, it's not part of the structural component. And then the real property is the actual building itself. Um, there are several methods of cost segregation. 
six of them, I believe, that are recognized by the IRS. The main one, the most important one, uh, which is the one that our firm does, is an engineering-based study. Uh, and that's called a certain method by the IRS. In other words, if they see there's an, you know, an engineer-based study, uh, they're not likely to question it, at least, at least not very much, okay? Um, it's good for basically any building that's are, are improvements to a building um, that are, you know, maybe $200,000 or above. Um, and you can expect, if you do a cost segregation study, you can expect between thirty dollars and $80,000 per $1 million of the building's cost uh, in tax savings over the first five years. Okay, so keep that in mind as we go forward, and I'll touch on that again. Um, this is just a little kind of a hokey little explanation of what cost segregation might look like. If you think, uh, if you're as old as me and you remember the old jingle from uh, McDonald's, um, you've got a here, um, this would be a Big Mac, okay, if it costs $3.99, I don't know what they cost nowadays, but if it costs $3.99 for the whole thing, uh, that would be like the whole building with everything in it. Cost segregation method would break down all those individual components and assign costs to each and every one of them. I don't think I need to go through every one of them, but for real property, or not real property, for actual building, okay, we can take a look at and see what five and seven year properties might be, okay? So there are things like interior doors, movable wall portion, uh, partitions, Special electrical and plumbing, you might think, okay, what's special? But, you know, if you have a medical building or a dentist office, they have a lot of specialty wiring, specialty plumbing, and things like that. But even carpeting, flooring, cabinets, countertops, um, kitchen fixtures. You know, if you, if you have multifamily property apartments and you have several different ones and you have kitchen fixtures, refrigeration equipment, maybe, uh, you might have those refrigeration in uh, restaurants. Um, so all those things can be depreciated over five years or seven. Seven years kind of nebulous. Most of it's going to be five years. What is 15-year property? 15-year property is basically the improvements to the land. Okay, land is not depreciable, but the improvements are things like landscaping, paving, parking lots, sidewalks, fencing, signage, all those things can be broken out separately and depreciated over 15 years. Um, so who can benefit from this? Really any owner of a commercial or multifamily property. Uh, and I say multifamily, but that even includes uh, residential rentals, okay? Um, it can be a duplex or even a single family. A residential rental can take advantage of this as well. Uh, you don't have to be a new owner. You could have owned it for several years, preferably less than 15 years. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, if you've made any improvements, you know, preferably major improvements over the last few years, uh, you can certainly benefit. Um, the largest beneficiaries, of course, are the people who own the largest or the most properties. Okay, so again, apartments, condos, hotels, nursing homes, hospitals, offices, retail strips, basically any type of commercial building, um, including uh, even storage facilities. You know, sometimes people don't think of storage facilities, but they have a lot of uh, indoor, you know, movable doors, movable wall partitions and things like that. 
And uh, warehouses are another thing that people don't often think about because they don't include a whole lot of interior items. Typically, a warehouse might be 10% office and the rest of it pretty much open space. But what you don't remember sometimes is that they usually have very large parking lots and driveways and things like that that can really add up. Um, so what happens is this reduces your taxable income by pulling all of that uh, depreciation up into the current year. Um, that's what they call the accelerated depreciation. And you can take advantage that way of the time value of money. If you're familiar with that, it's kind of like if you were to win the lottery, okay? Would you rather have the money spread out over 39 years a little bit at a time? Or would you rather have it up front where you can do something with it, make some, you know, make some use out of it? I think most and of I was going to say too, I think one of the things that we learned is I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of owners are kind of passing up uh, income that they could be getting through tax savings because the likelihood that any of us are going to hold our property for 39 years or even 15 years or 10 years is so low that if you don't take advantage of this opportunity, you're essentially kind of just giving money away if you have taxable income. That's a good point. That's, that's very true. Um, hardly anybody holds a building for 39 years. Now, right. Or 27 and a half. Um, um, okay, so what's the benefit? Again, uh, you get to hold on to that money instead of giving it to Uncle Sam. Okay. You can use that money for basically anything that you want. Um, you can use it to close other real estate deals. It even can enhance your underwriting if you buy another property or refinance a property or whatever because it shows that you have more liquidity. Um, you can use it to buy more buildings, like you mentioned, cover debt service, uh, do some renovations to your property or whatever. Uh, it's pretty much up to you. Basically, the best time to do it is right after you purchase the building. Go ahead and take advantage of it. You'll know what you'll be looking, you know, what you'll be looking at moving forward. Um, okay, so that's basically what cost segregation is. Uh, it's breaking down all the individual components and assigning uh, the you know, the correct class lies too. Now, uh, I mentioned the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. What it did in 2017, it allowed for what they call a 100% bonus depreciation for properties that were purchased or built after September 27, 2017, which is the date that the act went into effect. Okay, prior to that, there was, I think, a 50% bonus depreciation, but it had to be only on new purchases and new construction. Now it's available for any purchase or any, uh, in, you know, any purchase after that date. Doesn't matter when the building was built or anything. You purchase a building anytime since then, going forward up until I think it's 2022. You can take advantage of the 100% bonus depreciation. What that means is you get all of the five, seven, and 15 year depreciation in the very first year. So if you want to, right? So you could, like, if you could talk to your CPA, and if you wanted to, you could roll it forward to future years, or because of the CARES Act this year, you could roll it back five years. Um, that was something that was like huge for our CPAs. Uh, you'd want to ask your CPA about this, but one of the things that our CPAs brought up to us is when we sold a property that we would go through all the steps to do a 1031 exchange. 
uh, but we might not actually utilize that exchange because if we did a cost seg, that potentially it would be more beneficial for us to just take 100% bonus depreciation versus doing an actual 1031 exchange. So that's something to ask your CPA about, but it's definitely a very powerful <laughs> uh, tool that you can use. Right, and as far as the, uh, the carryback, I'll touch on that in, uh, when we get to the CARES Act in just a couple of minutes. Um, but you mentioned uh, you know, rolling it forward. So if you, if you get a big um, tax savings and you didn't have enough, you, know, you didn't have enough income to, to use all that depreciation, you can carry it forward indefinitely mm-hmm. and use it in later years. Maybe maybe in 2020, a lot of people didn't might not have as much income as they would like. But maybe next year, hopefully, in the year next couple of years, it'll be better. Um, so the 100% bonus applies to anything with a depreciable life of less than 20 years. So all the five, seven, and 15 year properties. Okay, which is what the uh, cost segregation study will identify. So if you're a member, uh, back on uh, slide three or four, whatever I said, you can get. Thirty to eighty thousand dollars per million dollars over the first five years. Well, now with the twenty seventeen tax cut, you can get all of that in the very first year, which is a big, uh, big advantage. Um, these are some uh, examples of some different types of properties and what you know what cost segregation can do. Uh, you got a dental office, an office condo, and then a warehouse building. You notice each one of those says without land because you have to subtract the land from the, you know, from the total cost because land is not depreciable. But even on a two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar dental office, you know, you may be able to save thirty two thousand plus, um, which would give you when you look at the fees. The fee is tax deductible, by the way. Um, so if you look at the return on investment after tax return, even something on a relatively small dental office like that would be something like 21 to 1. Um, an office condo, maybe a little bit more. Even on an office warehouse, you notice uh, uh, that one's 5246000 dollars $5, plus. Uh, but even then, an office warehouse typically with only 10% of it being office and the rest of it being uh, in basically empty warehouse, it's still a three hundred over three hundred thousand dollar tax savings and an ROI on this one of thirty three to one. Again, the warehouses typically have large parking lots, large driveways. This is what uh, the cost segregation study will show you separating uh, the twelve forty five property, which is what they call the personal property, from the twelve fifty property, which again is uh, you know, the structural property. So on the left-hand side, you show all those components. Those are five-year uh, life proper, you know, components. Cabinets will, you know, uh, wall coverings, specialty electrical, you know, this maybe it's a restaurant, has specialty electrical, plumbing, coolers, things like that. Over on the right-hand side, the, the site work, that would be 15-year um, property. Um, parking lots signage, things like that. Um, parking lots, if I remove that. The parking lot, you see on that one, is like $113,000 just for the parking lot. Um, and then those on the bottom right, those are the building structures, which would all be 39. So those would all be broken out uh, in the in the uh, cost segregation study. Um, 
I mentioned the tangible property regulations a while ago. Uh, what they are is they started out in 2014. They were updated a couple of times, most recently, I think, in 2016 or 2017. But basically what they are, again, without getting too much into the weeds, uh, what it provides, they call it guidance. It's, more, it's a little stronger than guidance. But what it is, the IRS now tells you what you can do, what you have to do, to determine whether something can be expensed or you have to capitalize it. So if you have a repair uh, uh, or some kind of a, you know, improvement or whatever, and you're trying to determine whether you have to capitalize it over 39 years or if you can expense it and write it off right now, uh, you have to go by these tangible property regulations, or what they call the repair regulations. Believe it or not, they actually are very taxpayer friendly, okay, which friendly and tax taxes don't normally go together, but um, they are very taxpayer friendly. They're also very complicated. Um, but they do tell you what you need to do going forward, and they can also go back retroactively. So you see this building system page here. This is something that we do, that our firm does, a lot of times don't, but this breaks down the building components into their depreciable costs and then also gives the current replacement costs. So this is something that you and your CPA can use to help determine whether you can expense an item or if you have to capitalize it, so you, you, know, you replace a roof or something. Well, the regulations say that typically most things, if you spend more, or you you spend more than 33, between 33 and 40 percent of the replacement cost, it's more than that. Typically, you'll have to capitalize. But if it's less than that 33 percent or so, then you can expense it. So these numbers um, can be used by our by your CPA or whatever, your, your tax professional, to determine whether you can expense it or you have to buy it off. And we'll actually assist, uh, you know, for two or three years or whatever, if you do some, some renovations or whatever, we'll assist with, you know, no extra cost to update the, the, place, you know, the replacement cost and, and help you, you and your CPA determine uh, what would be the best way to go. You can even use it, um, you know, in planning when you might want to do something. Um, I just threw this in, it's not on the slide, but um, particularly multifamily properties, uh, a lot of times there's more than one building, okay? So, but each building is considered its own, its own unit of property for a lot of these things, okay? So each building would have its own uh, building components and the, the depreciable costs and the replacement. Um, and what that allows you to do is sometimes they have uh, sometimes or often you'll be able to use um, what they call some safe harbors where you don't actually have to go through the steps of figuring out the percentages and whatnot. So uh, anything that's an expense under $2,500, you can expense it, write it off. Um, that's the, uh, what they call the de minimis safe harbor. The next one is the small taxpayer safe harbor. Now that one is Particularly if, if a building is cost is a million dollars or less, typically you can write off most 
expenditures up to $10,000 or 2% of the building cost, whichever is less. But where that comes in, especially helpful for people who own apartment complexes, again, each building is its own unit of property. So each building, if it's under a million dollars, you would be able to use this for, okay? Not even if the total cost was $10 million, you had 10 buildings or whatever, and each one was a million or under, you'd be able to use the small taxpayer um, safe harbor. And then the last one that's, that's mostly overlooked, but shouldn't be, is what they call the routine maintenance safe harbor. And that is if you replace something or you repair, preferably repair, not replace, but if you repair something that's going to need repairing typically every once every 10 years, then you can go ahead and write it off instead of capitalize. Okay, but that's the, you know, to keep it, basically to keep it in normal operating condition. You're not allowed to, you know, upgrade it to a much better, uh, you know, replacement. It really needs to just keep it. You can replace it, but as long as you keep it in the same normal operating condition. But that's, uh, if, as long as it's something that you, you would normally need to repair or replace within 10 years, you can typically write it off. Again, those are um, pretty complicated things. And, you know, you, you, don't, you don't want to do it without consulting your CPA maybe someone like us, okay? Um, but those are all guys, very beneficial for the You guys owner. partner with the CPA, right? Like you guys are essentially a partner with the CPA when you're doing the cost seg study so that you guys can ask questions, make sure you're on the same page about everything and all of that right. communicate directly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we are, we work with, uh, we probably get half of our referral business from CPAs. We work with CPAs, we're not in competition with them. CPAs typically don't do cost segregation. They definitely don't do engineering-based cost segregation. Yeah. Now, maybe the, you know, the big four accounting firms, they probably have uh, their own engineers and cost seg um, folks. But, uh, yeah, we work with CPAs. Uh, we're happy to get on the phone with the client and the CPA or just the client, just the CPA, whatever. And we have, uh, I don't know all the answers, but uh, I know people in the office who, have, who do know all the answers. <laughs> Uh, we can definitely uh, help help the CPAs. Um, okay, so these are a couple of I'm not gonna, like I said, show them again. These are a couple of examples of uh, where the repair regulations uh, are very helpful. Now, again, I kind of skipped over it, but uh, these are examples of properties that were purchased uh, years ago and then had uh, work done on like the multifamily apartment complex was purchased for a million one and they had four million dollars worth 160,000 2.7 million okay it was purchased in 1993 but they had all these improvements done on them but with the cost segregation study and applying the repair regulation you go back and save in this case five hundred and fifty four thousand dollars the office building on the other side was converted to a hotel Originally cost 1.6 million, had $10 million in improvements over the years, plus a few other ones. And they could save, and these are actual examples, they did save over a million dollars. So something I did kind of skip over uh, when I was talking about deciding whether you could expense something or you had to capitalize it. <clears throat> With those new regulations, they allow you to go back 
and look at your previous depreciation schedules. And if you had capitalized something that under the new laws now would be able to be expensed, you can go back and reverse that capital to make it an expense and write that off right now. So that's really a big deal to people who have done some improvements over the, over the years. I can't believe I forgot to mention that a while ago, but that's really one of the big deals. Um, okay, this one I'm just going to touch on briefly. Uh, this is what they call a partial asset disposition. So in other words, now you may write off the uh, depreciable value of properties that you dispose of. So if you're doing some improvements or some renovations or whatever, you throw something in the dumpster, okay, um, you can write it off. Whatever the depreciable value of it was, okay. Typically, it needs to be a fairly large you know, renovation. Commonly, it'd be roofs, HVAC, electrical things. Um, and not only can you write it off, but you can also write off the, um, the removal cost. If somebody come in and haul it off, you can write off the removal cost if you do this partial asset disposition. Now, both the partial asset disposition and the removal cost, you have to take those in the same year as the renovation, the same tax year. Okay? So you can't go back and say, well, I did this in 2017. I want to write it off. Man, it's too late. Man. So that's something you want to look at every year you know, when, before you file your tax. Um, this is another little example, I guess, of uh, this is an auto dealership that, you know, auto dealerships do a lot of renovations over, you know, over the course of the years. This is just showing uh, if they had done this little renovation, it would tell exactly what they did. But, um, you know, they were able to save 134000 just on the building from the cost segregation, and then they were able to write off 53297 uh from the partial asset uh, disposition, and then they were also able to write off another hundred. Twenty-six thousand for, for what they they improved in there. Okay, the CARES Act. We touched on. I mentioned it briefly, and you mentioned uh, a while ago about um, the carryback. Really, there are two big uh, advantages for property owners from the CARES Act. The first one I'll talk about is the qualified improvement property. Um, some of you may be familiar with property qualified property improvement property it used to be qualified restaurant property, and there were two or three other kinds. With the 2017 Tax Act, they lumped them all together into qualified improvement property. But, believe it or not, they made a mistake. They left something out when they wrote the law. They meant to include this as 15-year property, but they neglected to state that in the law when they wrote it, uh, and they left it as 30-year property. But the CARES Act came along, and they went in, they went in and changed that. So now it is 15-year property. So this qualified improvement property is typically any, in, you know, interior non-structural improvements to non—well, um, uh, what am I trying to say? I guess uh, non-residential property. Okay, so it needs to be, uh, you know, a commercial building, but it needs, but it's any improvement property and then improvements that are interior and non-residential after 927 of uh, 2017, which again was 
you know, when it's excess chemical. Right? So you can go back to 2018, 2019, and look at your depreciation schedule. Because that's what something we will do, you know, if we're if you decide to, to do a cost segregation study, we'll look at the depreciation schedule and see if there are any things in there that are marked as qualified improvement property and therefore depreciated over 39 years on your on your depreciation schedule. And we can go back and change those if they were after 927.17, go back and change them and they qualify for 100% bonus depreciation. So instead of them being over 39 years, so now you get 100% of it up front. Okay, so that's another big deal. Like I said, you can retroactively do that. Um, okay, and then the other thing is what you mentioned a while ago, Crystal. Um, it's the carryback. There used to be, before the tax cuts and jobs, I used to be able to carry back, I think, uh, losses for two years. Okay, then the 2017 Tax Act did away with it. One of the negative things from the 2017 Tax Act, most of it was positive. Um, but now the CARES Act came along and they say that you can now carry back losses from a net operating loss, okay? You can carry, if it arose in uh, 2018, 2019, or 2020, of course we're in 2020 now, everybody's already filed in 2018, hopefully most people could file in 2019. So this is really the last year that you can take advantage of this. So what it says is this, you, if you have a net operating loss created really from doesn't have to be cost segregation, but that's where you can get a big net operating loss from, from the uh, depreciation. But if you have one, you can carry it back five years. Actually, you have to go back five years. So for 2019, you would have had to go back to 2014 and then bring it forward uh, for up to five years. So as you see in this little example, 2019, uh, excuse me, the 2019 tax, if you look at the income, they showed a loss of $425,000. But in 2014, they had $75,000 income. 2015, they had 150, 2016, 400,000 and on. So you can take that 425,000 and go back to 2014. Again, you can't do that now. You'd have to start with 2015 and 2020. But you go back and you can, you can wipe out that $75,000 worth of income. You can wipe out the $150,000 income. And then you have that 200,000 those would add up to 425,000, and you could get a refund on the taxes that you paid in those three years, okay? In this case, totaling 115,677. So that is another huge <laughs> advantage to the CARES Act. I think we've had some, a lot of us have had some good years over the last five years. So this is a really powerful tool. If, you're, if your 2020 income wasn't that great, this is a, a good way to, to kind of bring it back up again through this, this tool. Um, I was, uh, how we met you was doing a cost seg on our 30 unit apartment building. And when we got the study back, we were able to take advantage of this as well. So we've gone back five years and applied uh, yeah, I, I don't even have the number back yet, but I can tell you we paid a lot in taxes as self-employed people. Um, and we are classified as, as active investors. So you definitely want to consult your CPA on this and make sure that they advise you on this. We definitely aren't CPAs, but I can tell you that if you're an active real estate investor and you haven't done a cost seg, uh, this year is a really beneficial year in particular uh, to do this so you could take advantage of 
carrying back five years, or you can still carry it forward if you don't want to do that. That was a question from our CPA. Do you want to carry it back or do you just want to carry it forward? So, right. Yes, that's a good point. And again, you know, like you say, a lot of people aren't making the same amount of money this year as they may have made in the previous five years. And they, you know, sometimes they may think, well, why, why do I want to do a cost egg this year? I didn't make enough money. It's like, you know, I don't have enough income to worry about it. But if you're an active real estate investor, and again, to be a real estate investor, to be considered that, it's, there are a lot of, uh, you know, complicated uh, things that you have to qualify. Not everybody qualifies for this. If you're just an active, uh, excuse me, if you're just a, a passive investor, you know, you just happen to own a, uh, you know, a little small rent property as an investment, then you probably are not going to qualify for that. But it's certainly worth looking into. And it's also worth having a question with your CPA to ask them if you can qualify as an active investor so you can get those parameters mm -hmm. from your CPA and see if you can qualify because uh, there's pros and cons to everything, of course. But for us, we decided that it, it made sense for us to be active investors versus passive because we were able to take a lot of these losses that we couldn't as passive investors. So um, it's definitely a question to ask your CPA. That was one of the things we were talking about before we started this webinar is that some CPAs just kind of crunch the numbers and do your taxes every year. It's kind of like on autopilot. Um, and so you've got to be your own advocate to ask these sorts of questions to your CPA when considering how you can start saving money in taxes and be proactive. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, that's another point that, you know, you don't have to have been, you know, considered an active real estate investor before you can, you know, you can, if you qualify, you can do it this year and take advantage of it. You, know, uh, you don't have to have always been considered a qualified active real estate investment. Um, so those are the main points uh, that I wanted to touch on. So this little slide just shows basically cost segregation is the foundation for these things. It identifies uh, in the case of the CARES Act and qualified improvement property and the potential uh, refund from the carry back, tax cuts and jobs act and 100% bonus, and then the, you know, the uh, tangible property regulations. All those used the, the data and the figures uncovered in the cost segregation study itself. Um, assuming you, everybody wants to get a cost segregation study done, all you really need to do, first of all, is get a no-cost predictive analysis, which is just an estimate of what, um, of, uh, what you can expect. Then you can determine whether, you, you know, whether that's something that works for you or not. Typically, uh, as Crystal mentioned, you might want to consult your CPA before you make a decision, yes or no, whether you can use it or whether, you know, maybe if you own multiple properties, which properties might you want to use it on now, which you might want to wait on or whatever. But um, not just us, but most cost segregation countries, companies will do a, you know, no cost predictive analysis for you. Just need to know the type of building. Uh, what your cost basis was when you purchased it, and if you've done any improvements on it. Um, that's basically you know, the main things that you need to just get a an estimate, okay? Um, one thing people say, one of the first things people worry about is, say, oh, I don't want to trigger an audit. I don't want to do anything different that might trigger an audit. Well, a tax study, a cost segregation study will not trigger an audit in itself, okay? We've been in business over 18 years, done over 20,000 studies 
and we've never triggered an audit. Okay, we've never had a, a, one of our studies overturned by the IRS. And if someone should be audited for any other reason, we will defend our cost segregation study at no cost. You know, if the IRS has any questions. Um, there's a couple of things down there at the bottom. Dave Ramsey, most are familiar with Dave Ramsey. Uh, the quote from him saying, cost segregation is a proven tax strategy. Then the Journal of Accountancy uh, says the cost segregation technique is no more aggressive than using any permissible, permissible depreciation method uh, under the IRS code. So it's not going to jump off the page at the IRS folks. Oh, we need to check on that. Um, so, you know, don't worry about that. You know, one of the things I wanted to add, uh, Tim, is about that, uh, the word aggressive when it's used for taxes. Uh, we had Tom Wheelwright on our podcast as well a while back, and he's Robert Kiyosaki's CPA. And, and one mm -hmm. thing I really loved that he said is that, you know, I, he said, I hate when people say, are you an aggressive CPA? Uh, because there's no such thing. The tax law is written. It's just how well you know the tax law. So everything you do is, you know, everything he does is within the tax law. And so cost segregation is within the tax law. So it's not aggressive or not aggressive. It's just about knowing that you can take advantage of this opportunity that the government has written into law. I mean, it's definitely something that's legal and you're able to do. So um, you just have to know about it and ask the right questions and be in touch with the right professionals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it is, uh, like we said, uh, well, I think, uh, you know, CPAs are familiar with it, but they may not be uh, you know, intimately familiar with it. Um, CPAs have to know a broad range of the tax laws, pretty, you know, almost all of them, where we focus uh, only on those laws that affect buildings, commercial buildings and, uh, you know, apartment buildings. So CPAs look at uh, maybe 72,000 pages of the tax law, where we only focus on four or 5,000. So, uh, you know, we, we specialize in that. That's why CPAs come to folks like us and other cross-seg companies um, to provide them with the numbers. We look at ourselves as a calculation expert, we provide the calculation to the CPAs that they will use to, to therefore enter into the, the tax return. Tim, I wanted to ask you a question too, because I think one thing that might be daunting uh, for a lot of people, uh, even for us, I mean, I've been in real estate for 16 years and owned real estate for most of that time. Um, and I haven't done a cost seg until this year. And it's more one of those things that you're busy. We're all busy trying to make money, trying to buy more deals, trying to do whatever we can. Um, that you say, I'll get to it later. It seems like a lot of work, all this complicated stuff that you're talking about. It seems like an awful lot of work. Like we might have to provide a lot of paperwork and be really involved with you. What does that process look like as far as how paperwork heavy it is for uh, someone who would be interested in doing this? Right. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, we spoke with that about that before. And like you said, you yourself thought maybe there was going to be a lot of work involved, a lot of paperwork. There's really not much work involved on the, you know, on the on the part of the property owner. Um, there are a few items that we request. Uh, we do we do a site survey, but we just make arrangements with the owner for someone to come out, look at the property, take pictures of it, take measurements. Typically, we would need, uh, you know, 
blueprints, appraisal, uh, any plans to inspect. The more documentation we get, the better and more accurate the study will be. But it's not something that you have to go back and dig up. A lot of times your CPA will have most of it. Uh, if you have a property manager, they'll have most of it. Uh, we have a, a project manager that will work closely with uh, with the, the owner or the owner's representative just to gather the documents. Most of the work, it takes typically four to six weeks for us to finish the the, um, the cost seg study, but it might take you what? Um, it depends on how organized you are and how easy it is to find some of these things. But yeah, it might take you an hour or two, you know, to locate what you need or to get it from your CPA or whatever. You don't have to. We do basically all the hard lifting. You just need a little bit of information uh, from the owner. The reason it takes four to six weeks is because it is such a detailed, a very detailed uh, process. Um, I put down here that it could take six to eight weeks in peak tax season because everybody waits for the last minute. <laughs> wants to get them done. Who would do that? You didn't, but <laughs> most people do. Uh, that's human nature. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, you know, keep that in mind if you do decide that you want one course where you've got plenty of time before the next tax season starts. But um, we are in the fourth quarter now, so it's a good time to start thinking about uh, preparing for next next tax season. So uh, you purchased the building or you own the building, now's the time to, uh, now's the time to, to look into a cost education study. Um, I think that's about all I had. That's uh, my contact information again. And uh, if you have some questions, I'm happy to address them. Yeah, we do. Have, so we have one question here, and then we have some other uh, kind of follow-up questions to this. Um, but it's the, our first question is, it's my understanding you have to recapture the depreciation when you sell the building. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, Recapture means you know, you've taken this depreciation that's not really been earned yet, especially if you take the 100% bonus. Okay, so if you take 100% bonus in the first year and you turn around and sell the property the next year, you know, you've got all this depreciation that you took that you haven't really earned. So you're going to have to give some of it back. You don't actually physically give it back, but it comes, you know, if you sell the property, um, you're going to have to, you're going to have some recapture. Now, we don't usually, well, we don't ever really um, recommend doing a cost seg study if somebody's going to just buy and flip the property or sell it within two to three years. If you're going to hold it more than three years, you'll almost always come out ahead, even with the recapture. Okay? One way to think of it is the bulk of, other than maybe a warehouse property or something, the bulk of the the accelerated depreciation is usually going to be five-year depreciation. So if you sell the property, say, after you own it five years, okay, that property had a class life as determined by the IRS of five years. So that property, when you sell it, is not going to be worth the same amount it was when you wrote it off and took that depreciation. Okay, so you're not going to have to recapture all of that. It's only what the property is actually worth at time. Okay. So you can't just say it's worth nothing because it had a five year class life. But it, you know, carpet is not going to be worth near what it costs after five years. Maybe worth almost nothing. But you know, that's where your CPA can come in and say, okay, this is what you know we might want to put 
10% of it or whatever. Um, again, don't want to use the word aggressive, but but you can you know you can be reasonable and say that when you sell this property, almost all of the appreciation was due to the, the building itself, you know, in the land or whatever. So it's not going to be that much of it was due to the five-year property or even the 15-year property. So um, typically, if you hold the building over three years, you'll always come out head even though you pay some recapture and typically you never really pay more than 50 percent of you know of it in recapture got it um couple questions uh is there any properties i think a lot of people hear this is there any properties or dollar amount or property types that people should just not do this where how does somebody know if it's going to be beneficial or not is that come to you and get a free quote or is that just something you know from experience like these are just not worth it well yeah you can always uh, you know get a quote typically though if it's under if the cost after distracting from the land subtracting the land cost if it's under two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or so it's probably not going to be worth it it just depends on what's worth it to you. You know, I mean, uh, $30,000 in savings might not be worth it to a lot of people. It might be great for, you know, someone else who's got a small property. Um, our fees, uh, which I haven't discussed, but our fees um, on a small property like that are not going to be very much. Again, um, you're going to be, you know, you should be able to get 20, 20 to 1 ROI. Or, or more, sometimes 30, 40, 50, depending on the property. But if you can't get a, you know, uh, a return of over 10 to one or so, then you probably don't, probably not worth it for you okay. to get to it. And then uh, you had a slide up there and I noticed there's a property where they purchased it and they made all this improvement, whether it's in the first year or over time. Right. If somebody buys a property, um, and they are going to do, a, you know, whether it's an extensive remodel or they're going to do stuff over time, should they wait till all that's work's done, then do the cost seg? Or how does that work? You know, how does that work if you buy it? You guys say, hey, do it right now, but then you're going to do this. I was just curious. In those examples, did they do the cost seg at the end? Or are they doing this stuff as they go along? No, it really doesn't. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, a whole lot. Um, it just depends on what it is that you're wanting to do. Um, whether you whether you do it now or whether you do it after you uh, whether you do this cost seg study after you've done the renovation, uh, you're going to get the same amount of depreciable, you know, of the, of the write-off for that particular whatever it is that you did. So if it was five-year property, you're still going to get that, you know, that five-year accelerated and and plus 100% bonus on it. Um, but now if you're looking to if you bought a property and you're just looking to do some renovations and hoping to be able to expense it as opposed to writing it off under the, like we talked about the repair regulation, you can't expense it unless you've owned it for over two years. Okay. okay. I guess two tax years. You can still depreciate it. And if it's five year property or whatever, you still get the same benefit, but you can't expense it. Uh, under the regulations, unless you've owned it for two for two years, so you can't okay. just go in and do a whole bunch of stuff and, and then write it all off. Because the way they look at it is, if you're going to put 
put a new roof on it, you know, the month after you bought it, well, first of all, you can't take a partial asset distribution. You can't expense it because obviously the roof wasn't worth anything when you bought it. Okay. Because you're tearing it up and putting a new one on right away. If you wait a couple of years, <laughs> then you could potentially uh, expense it uh, and maybe do a partial asset distribution. And that kind of goes back to, you know, the percentages I was talking about, um, 33% or 40% or so. So say you have a building that has six air large apartment buildings, say it has six air conditioning units, okay? Uh, well, let's say it says seven, that's the usual work list. <laughs> say it has seven air conditioning units. If you re replace two of them at a time, you can expense those because that's less than 33%. But if you go in and replace four or five or you replace all of them, you have to uh, capitalize. So again, that might give you, you know, a plan. Ooh, I'm going to do some of these now, some of them later. You can do the same thing with that de minimis um, safe harbor that I mentioned was $2,500. Anything you do under $2,500, you can expense it. Well, if you've got several things that you want to do, replace some windows instead of replacing them all at once, replace $2,500 of them, you know, one month, another $2,500 later on. You know. um, so you can do it like that. You do have to have, for those, you do have to have the uh, an invoice, you know, for the, any of those things that are under $2,500. Okay. And then, so in California, I'm not sure everywhere, but I can just speak specifically to California. Um, since we have a shorting houses here, they've, been very aggressive where we can add ADUs to properties, which is uh, excessive dwelling units, accessory. accessory, sorry, dwelling units. And so a lot of people, whether they have an apartment building, they have a four unit, they're starting to add all these units on, they're converting a garage. So they'll take a garage or old shed or something. And this is very rampant throughout California right now. Uh, they've kind of cut costs to make it happen. So um, is that something where if somebody was going to, let's say, add one unit, two unit, whatever they can do to a property? Is that something they should go ahead and if they buy a property and they're going to do that, should they go ahead and get that done first and then come back and do the cost seg because they've added one or two you know, units? Again, I don't think that would really make any difference. Okay. Um, because it would be depreciated the same way. Um, you know, the, the structural part would be 39 years. Uh, and all the other interior parts would be, you know, five years or whatever. So it really shouldn't make any difference. Um, uh, I don't see, I don't see any. There may be some scenarios in which it might, but uh, basically, it shouldn't make any difference. So basically, they should come to you and kind of let you know their plans for the property, and then you guys can kind of adjust it based on you know, kind of advise them based on what their plans are that maybe they do it now or maybe they wait. Right, absolutely, yeah. Uh, we can advise them along with their, with their CPAs as well. And Tim, can you just kind of tell us um, what is a typical client uh, owner scenario that you guys kind of like, would you call your bread and butter or just a typical scenario you guys are doing? Is it somebody that owns large buildings you know, I mean, do you guys have anywhere from syndicators to institutional to you know, mom and pa? Like, I'm just curious, like, kind of what's the range? The range really is all over the board. Uh, you can go from, uh, you know, anyone who maybe somebody who just owns a, a residential rental, you know, $300,000 house 
to uh, we've got people who own uh, portfolios of 20, 30, 40 properties. And it could be you know single tenant mid lease properties or apartment buildings. Uh, we've done everything from 250,000 to I think the 950 million dollar portfolio. Uh, Unfortunately, I have not done the, the 950. <laughs> 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 I'm still looking for that one. Um, yeah. uh, so really, there, there's no, you know, uh, I guess some of the larger firms, like you know, carpet-owned uh, properties, uh, they've either, if it's a corporation, a lot of times it's, you know, there's so many, uh, so many uh, shareholders. This, you know, they don't really care about doing it. Um, but a lot of times people who own a lot, a lot of properties um, may already be doing it. You know, they may have somebody doing it already. Um, so people who own things individually or with a small LLC or whatever, those are the type of people uh, who probably you would consider our bread and butter. Maybe, you know, there are more of those folks who are not familiar with it, but who could really benefit from it. Um, but again, it is all over the board and you can't really can't really tell, you know, you can't, unless you ask, you know, you think, well, these people own, uh, you know, $100 million worth of property, they're probably already doing it, well, maybe they're not, you know, you know, you know. and you can also can't assume that, um, that people don't own more than one property. <laughs> um, you can definitely, if you own more than one property, um, sometimes, like I mentioned before, you might want to do one now and one later, depending on what, that's something, again, you want to talk with your tax professional about, see what the best way to do it is. Um, I, will, I will mention, this is something that Chris and I talked about a couple of days ago, I think, but another thing to keep in mind is the election coming up. I mean, what's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen next year, whether taxes are going to go up, whether it's 1031 exchanges are going to go away, hopefully not. Um, but we need to be prepared for those kind of things. Um, so that may be another reason to uh, to start thinking about it, talking to your CPA now, talking to uh, someone like us, and they want to go ahead and do a cost segregation study. Get that carried back if you're a you know, real estate professional. Just take, get that uh, loss that you can carry forward. It won't go away. They're not going to wipe it out if they do change the tax laws. To go ahead and get it done. The 2020 is probably a pivotal year for, for that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think um, I think a lot of people are going to. This will be changing. I think whoever's in administration, I think you know, if taxes do go up, people are going to be looking for strategies. And like you said, some people are sitting on properties, mm. and the strategies right in front of them, um, or it's your clients. So I think this can be super helpful. Um, Tim, I appreciate the time. Like I, you know, if we have any more questions, guys, let us know. But like I always tell everybody, you know, um, you might have a CPA that's not recommending this. You might have to bring it to their attention. But I think as you know, you'll agree with us, Tim, is you're really in real estate. You're as good as your team is, um, whether that's a CPA, attorney, property manager, you know, banker, the cost seg, all of it. So I mean, having these, you know, Tim is one of the tools in your belts, you know, one of the bullets in the gun that can help you. And um, from my perspective, we've had other people on the podcast um, that utilize this and they make, some of them make an absorbent amount of money and they buy a lot of property. And so somebody might sit there and go, well, I get all these, this is great. So 
why, why would I do this and what's the strategy? And so what I've learned from these guys is the strategy is, is that they make a lot of money, but if you can pay zero to little taxes, the strategy the government wants you to do is, well, why don't you go out and buy another one and do it again and do it again and again. And that's how people build portfolios. That's what save on taxes. So instead of paying uncle Sam, you take the, you know, you just keep rolling it and buy another property and you're providing housing and you're doing, and you basically have a game plan. So this could be a formula for you and your CPA. If you're not doing to jump on and I encourage everybody to, you know, reach out to Tim, um, you know, talk to him, you know, I, whatever I know, Tim, you mentioned you can give a, maybe a free analysis or a free conversation, whatever it is, but we found it huge benefit, usually beneficial for us and we'll continue to use this strategy moving forward. Yeah, our CPAs, so just a little bit of background on how we even got to COSEG is I've heard of it in the past and we always wanted to do it, but um, we hired a new CPA that specializes in uh, with real estate investors and did some consults. They did some consulting for us and looked at all of our income and advised us on what we should be doing. And they had recommended this cost, this cost seg uh, analysis. So that's when we really got serious about it. And it's just one of those things that I'm like, geez, why didn't we do this on all of our other buildings in the past? So uh, that we've now sold. So it's just one of those things that we've paid a lot of taxes over the years. And I've heard this term used, like I've heard people say, you know, I, when you're paying taxes, that's a good thing because that means you're making more money and that's all great and fine. But you actually, if you're a real estate investor, that's one of the major benefits of being a real estate investor is that you don't have to pay those taxes. So you just have to be able to do the research, learn about things like a cost seg, uh, that can help you to offset your other income. So we're able to offset the income that we make, uh, in our business through doing cost segregation on our properties. So it's not just the income you make on your properties, it's actually your income that you make at a job, W-2, or as an entrepreneur through another business that you own. Um, it's a huge uh, tool that we've been able to use now and it's one that we'll continue to use because it, it, it was definitely more than a 10 to one uh, ratio for us, <laughs> so it made a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, so uh, after all of this, uh, we're going to send you guys a link to this um, webinar. If you feel like you know somebody who can benefit from learning about this, uh, basically anybody who owns real estate, I encourage you to share it with them. Um, it's just a huge tool for people uh, that I don't think is really widely publicized. I think it's a tough topic, um, a little bit dry, like we talked about in the beginning, but there's uh, nothing more exciting to me at least than saving money on taxes and essentially making money. So that is an exciting topic for all of us. Um, but yeah, so we'll send that out. We'll include Tim's contact information as well. So you can reach out to him if you have questions or you want to get started or take a look and see if this is the right fit for you. Uh, so we'll include all of that. And then we'll be releasing the episode um, as well uh, next week on our podcast channels. Tim, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I don't know if there's any last words you want to wrap up um, before we go. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you both. Uh... I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I am available 24 seven. Uh, anybody that wants to uh, ask me more questions, uh, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate it. I know this isn't the sexiest topic, but I always tell people saving money is sexy to me. So, um, you know, so taxes don't have to be boring and saving money. So hope you guys enjoyed Tim. Appreciate the time. And I know I learned a lot today. So, um, just the fact that alone, I'm, I'm super excited about that.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.